Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the 503rd show of ROI. Our guest for today's show is David Stevro K., journalist who is going to talk to us about Sweden, from the Vikings to joining NATO. In the second segment of our show, we'll be joined by our history buffs, Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. To begin with, welcome to the show, David. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're very excited. This is a, a nice, broad topic. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Our first segment of the show is called Farouk Dinarin, and we're just trying to give our listeners a little background information. So since we're talking about Sweden, let's go back to those 700s and kind of the beginning of the Viking Age when uh, folks from what would eventually become Sweden first kind of hit the broader uh, European stage. Yeah, sure. Um, what would you like to know to start with? Well, just kind of give us, start us off with a sense of what Sweden's like in the seven in the seven hundreds. You know, what what are we looking at um, in terms of the people who are living there and the kind of culture that's developing? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, the first thing that's important to understand is that Sweden, as a country, didn't exist back then, and neither did Norway or Denmark. But we now. Uh, called the modern states of Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, and certainly other states or other countries in the area, uh, then didn't exist. So people used to live uh, in the area, which we now refer to as Sweden, Denmark, and, uh, and Norway, uh, did not live in nation states in those uh, uh, early days. They lived in smaller communities. Um, and uh, the term Viking, which we now use today as a general word, is not something they would know, meaning the people who were Swedish Vikings didn't know themselves as Vikings, they didn't know themselves as Swedish. We just use those terms to make things easier for us today. So basically, uh, the word we call, we, when we say Vikings, what we return, we're referring to is uh, named after the old Norse word Vik, that's V-I-K, and that means uh, kind of a fjord or a narrow uh, strait or a bay. And these people would live uh, by the water in many cases. Uh, and they were um, not, as we can imagine, um, uh, vicious or, or, or cruel uh, um, um, killers and raiders of other communities. They were just regular people. They were farmers. They were fishermen. They had their families. They had communities. They had a, a social hierarchy. Um, and um, and uh, at some point, uh, and now we're going back to the period you talked about, uh, in the um, uh, 10th century, the uh, 8th century, the 9th century, and up until the 11th century, um, they used to uh, go traveling for these uh, uh, trips of uh, either raiding other communities or trade, buying and selling, or uh, exploring or colonizing uh, and when this began, it uh, would begin at, say, once a year. Some of the men from these uh, Scandinavian communities would cross the waters and they would go either east or west, and they would raid another community. In fact, we officially say the Viking Age uh, started in the year 793 with one of these raids, which, was, uh, um, um, no, which is known about because people wrote about it, on a small island uh, off the coast of uh, northeast England, 
Um, and uh, we know about a group of these Scandinavian people, the Norsemen, who um, uh, came with uh, boats, um, which had the dragon images on them. And they came to this small island, which was a monastery, and they uh, came to um, become rich. They came to uh, uh, rob uh, uh, what was on it. Uh, and that was recorded, and that's the official beginning of the Viking days. So once a year, some of the men would do that. The regular the other people of these communities would stay, uh, and they would usually go far away in order to avoid a situation of revenge. So they would go to a place where uh, people didn't know them. Um, and they couldn't uh, have revenge on them. And also, unlike other European peoples at the time, they had no uh, problem with attacking uh, religious uh, institutions such as monasteries and churches, because these people who lived in Scandinavia in those days were not Christian. That area of the world has not been uh, Christianized at that point. And they were pagan. They used to believe in uh, gods like Odin uh, uh, or Thor or Freya or, uh, and, and the Norse mythology. Uh, which we know about today. So, um, so they had no uh, no uh, problem with uh, raiding and attacking uh, monasteries, for example. Um, and uh, that went on for a few hundred years. Uh, but during that period, like I said before, it wasn't only about violence. It was about trading, it was about exploring, and in some cases about colonizing or settling. Uh, those Vikings who now live in what is now referred to as Sweden uh, would go east. Um, in the rivers um, of uh, like east of Scandinavia, the Scandinavian Peninsula, and they arrived in what is now referred to as Russia and Ukraine and places like that. And they even went uh, later in the Viking period, more east, and uh, even came to places in the Middle East. Uh, and the ones who live now in Denmark, what is now referred to as Denmark, went to uh, places in uh, uh, England, in today's England, and France, Normandy, and York, and places like that. Uh, and uh, the ones in uh, what is now called Norway. Uh, went to places like Iceland and from there over to Greenland and even arrived to North America um, hundreds and hundreds of years before uh, before Columbus did. They arrived in Newfoundland, uh, what is now uh, part of Canada, uh, and they settled there for a while, but of course didn't settle there for a long period of time, uh, like the Spaniards and the other Europeans hundreds of years later. So it was an age of exploration. It was an age of mass immigration, if you want. It was also an age of... Uh, technological advancement in many uh, senses, uh, uh, known, uh, for example, the longboats that the Vikings used to use, which were very practical for things like that, uh, new ideas, new ideals. So in many ways, although we're talking about a thousand years ago, it was very similar to our uh, age uh, today in, in that sense of the uh, immigration and new technologies and new ideas. In the end, we remained with um, uh, great advancements of these uh, Scandinavian people who kind of integrated into other European societies and to make things easier for themselves in terms of trade and politics. Uh, in the end, in the process of hundreds of years that it occurred, in, in the end, uh, they Christianized. Uh, and as uh, Christianity came to town, uh, so did the modern states of Norway, Denmark and Sweden and all the, the, the next period of, of history. So okay. what began as small communities, which are now called Vikings, in the end ended up with Christianization and the, the, the Swedish and Norwegian and Danish states, yeah. Okay, so we have a lot more to talk about. Please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KLA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. Check out the new Mississippi Valley Blues Society website at mvbs.org. 
they have recorded and digitized tons of content from past Blues Fests, interviews, and workshops, and introduced Volt Sessions, great acts from popular blues artists. Their new web store has all of the MVBS gear you could ever want, plus exclusive signed posters from past Blues Fests. With the new blues calendar, MVBS.org has all of the latest on local blues happenings. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is David Stevru K, journalist, and we're going to be talking about Sweden, from the Vikings to joining NATO. Our history buffs for today's show our Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. Rick, start us off. David, uh, my, uh, I'm married to a Swedish, a wonderful Swedish woman, and uh, she reminds me that her history is Viking stock, and I reminded her that the Swedes went east to Russia, and uh, a gentleman by the name of Ruprik was invited by the Muscovite state to uh, administer uh, while the uh, Russian princes were killing each other. So she actually did not attack Scotland. Those were the uh, Norwegians. Uh, when did the seed of of what was to become Sweden, uh, when was it formed and, and how was it formed? Well, it, um, what really happened is, uh, just like I said before, as the uh, Viking Age came to a close, uh, we usually use the year 1066 to describe uh, the end of the Viking Age, uh, a process of unification came about, uh, and then the smaller um, uh, settlements and uh, smaller kingdoms uh, gradually um, united, and we had a Sweden uh, in the 12th and the 13th, and then obviously after that in the 13th and 14th century. So uh, in that sense, uh, we have Sweden from that period. And of course, um, then started the reign of the Swedish king who united the kingdom and made it bigger and stronger and bringing it into being a military empire that eventually became as late as the 17th century. Uh, an independent Sweden, um, uh, which was not part of the Kalmar Union, uh, which came about at the end, very end of the 14th century, which uh, included Sweden, Denmark and Norway, uh, and that dissolved in the end uh, in the year 1520 to 1523, and that's when the Kama Union broke up and Sweden became a country of its own, meaning not part of the personal union together with Denmark and, uh, uh, and uh, Norway. So we're talking about the unification and then becoming a union and then breaking up the union. So that's uh, the period when that happened. Okay. Brett? So a lot of people have a perception of Sweden as very monochromatic and and a very uh, similar society and, and don't understand how widespread uh, the trade connections established in the Middle Ages and continuing on have been in the uh, Swedish mindset. So can you talk to us a little bit about uh, that interaction between a culture that is fairly uh, isolated but has contacts worldwide? 
Yeah, well, I, I think that's, uh, that's a very good point because, uh, well, I don't know exactly what people think about Sweden, but Sweden really is not now and I don't think ever has been an isolated country because if you spoke about the Vikings uh, before, uh, that was all about uh, traveling and uh, trading and uh, expanding and settling in other places. Um, all the way, um, you know, the end of the, the Viking Age, we're talking about uh, trade, which continued uh, throughout the, what we call the Swedish Middle Ages, which is after the Viking Age, you could say, uh, up until uh, today, when Swedish uh, modern economy is uh, very uh, export-orientated. It's very modern, it's very diverse, and it's all about export. Uh, so, so I guess that uh, if you'd like, any time between the Vikings until the age of uh, Volvo, Ericsson, uh, Spotify, uh, and many, many other uh, Swedish companies, uh, IKEA, um, H&M, other companies which are known all around the world, Sweden has always been uh, open to the world. And uh, this is true also to the period between the Vikings and uh, modern-day Sweden, although I must say that for a few hundred years, a lot of Sweden's export and its almost hard to uh, remember that these days because Sweden hasn't been at war for such a long time. But uh, during the 16th and 17th and 18th centuries, Sweden was at war with well, basically everyone in the neighborhood, uh, the Denmark, the Danes, the Russians, uh, what is now Finland used to belong to Sweden, uh, a large chunk of northern Germany, uh, today's northern Germany, then the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, and uh, Poland was occupied by Sweden. So a lot of times this was done by war, and in the last 200 years it's done by peace. Uh, but Sweden has always been a country which is open to the world. I should add that in the 20th century, uh, so recently it also became open to the world in the sense of uh, immigration, because uh, Sweden uh, um, had, has uh, now but had even more uh, generous um, um, immigration policy. So people from all over the world actually immigrated into Sweden. If you're interested in that, I can talk about that a bit later. But uh, 100 years ago, more than 100 years ago, in the 19th century, people emigrated out of Sweden, uh, amongst other places, many of them uh, to you guys, to the US. And yeah. A lot of the Americans, uh, especially Americans in the Midwest, have Swedish roots. So both in terms of trade uh, and in terms of uh, commerce, uh, export, imports, and also in terms of immigration and immigration, Sweden has always been open to the world. David, talking about that also leads me into my my question that I was I was in really enjoyed um, our trip to the Baltic uh, this summer, and in particular the um, the very strong sense of friendly competition between the Scandinavian countries. Everywhere we went, someone went out of their way to tell us that wherever we were had the best whatever it was. And don't yeah. listen to those Danes or don't listen to those Swedes or don't listen to the, you know, whatever, those Finns, um, because ours is better. And, of course, when we went to the next country, you always heard, yeah, you know, the Swedes are lying. We really have the best whatever. So that competition is there. But it made me, when you were talking about the, the wars, it made me think that there were points at which those competitions were, were far less cordial, if you will. And that leads me yeah. to... Um, to the, uh, the one of the, the cool museums we went to in Stockholm, which was the Vasa Museum. Can you tell us a little bit about the building of the Vasa and, and what 
competitive or or uh, political goals were trying to be achieved by uh, building this what turned into a naval catastrophe. Yes, uh, of course. Well, the Vata is a uh, is a world famous uh, now museum. Uh, which houses the old ship called the Vasa, which was built between 1625 and 1628. Uh, I can tell you a bit about the Vasa, but first, um, just uh, referring to your question, the first part of your question uh, or your remark, it is true, um, Swedes and Danes uh, and Norwegians, and I can add uh, Finns as well, although that's a bit of a different story, um, today have that kind of... uh, friendly uh, competition between them in many areas. It could be sports, it could be you know anything from food, from culture to, to any other aspect of life. Because it's, it's hard to forget, uh, but uh, you should know that Sweden and Denmark are the two countries in the world that had the most wars between them. Uh, people don't realize that. Uh, even when they were together in the same union, the Kalmar Union, which you talked about before, and certainly after that dissolved, uh, there were many, many wars, bloody wars, uh, between these two countries, and uh, Norway only became an independent country in 1905, but before that it sort of changed hands a few times between Sweden and Denmark. Uh, but for the last 200 years, there have been no wars which were Sweden uh, was involved in. Sweden's last war was uh, in the summer of 1814, so Sweden has been at peace for 200 years, and that friendly competition is kind of a, a reminder to that. It's all very friendly, it's all uh, pretty harmless, uh, but uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's perhaps what remains from the uh, old, ancient, bloody rivalries between these uh, countries. Uh, but back to the Vasa now. Well, the Vasa was built uh, at the first half of, like I said, 1625 to 1628. It was meant to be the Swedish Navy's most powerful, the largest uh, uh, ship. Um, it uh, was built to have immense uh, firepower. It was an enormous ship in, in terms of uh, those days. Uh, we're talking about uh, 69 meters long. I think uh, if you think in feet, that's uh, 220 feet, um, about 170 feet high, ro- uh, weighed over 1,000 tons. It had lots of very expensive, uh, very uh, state-of-the-art, you could say, uh, bronze cannons on it. It was supposed to carry 150 sailors and 300 soldiers uh, on it. Uh, and all those were supposed to go out to war in Poland because that was a war which Sweden was, Sweden was fighting in those days. And it didn't only have a lot of firepower to it, but soldiers on it, it was also kind of a propaganda machine because it was covered with statues and busts and ornaments and uh, um, painted in very bright colors, which were meant to uh, well, both frighten the enemy and be kind of a, a propaganda um, and a show of power and might uh, of the king of, uh, of that period, Gustav II Adolf of Sweden, who was nicknamed the Lion of the North. Um, and when it left Stockholm on a beautiful uh, summer day in August uh, 1628, the whole of the city were sort of standing out on the streets and the piers and the cliffs, uh, waving it away, waving flags, uh, singing songs. Uh, they shot a couple of um, uh, salute shots from the cannons of the ship, uh, and uh, as it was making its way into the Baltic Sea uh, and on its way to Poland, uh, it sunk uh, 20 minutes into its maiden voyage, which was a great embarrassment of Swedish monarchy. Uh, the reason it sank was because it was built uh, in wrong proportions. It was top-heavy. It was uh, way too uh, high and way too narrow to support the weight. In fact, today we know 
that it would, would have been just a foot and a half wider on either side and would have had a double amount of the ballast that it had on it, uh, it would have been okay. But it wasn't, and it was uh, too heavy, or top-heavy, as we call it, uh, and it sunk uh, before it even managed to leave Stockholm. Um, so, again, a great embarrassment to the Swedish monarchy. Uh, and um, as it sunk, most of the people on board managed to get away. The people in both days didn't know how to swim, but they were picked up by little uh, fishing boats. Um, some didn't. Some didn't survive. About 30 people, we think, uh, died on that day. Um, and as the years went by, it sort of uh, sunk deeper and deeper and deeper into the mud at the bottom of uh, Stockholm Harbour. Uh, and it was kind of forgotten. It wasn't really forgotten because uh, people knew about this and remembered it because it's uh, quite an important event in Swedish history, uh, but there's nothing really anybody could do about it. And then if we fast forward into uh, deep into the 20th century, the 1950s, it was found, and then uh, they came up with a brilliant idea of how to dig it up again by uh, sort of digging tunnels underneath it and raising it slowly, slowly, with uh, steel cables which were connected to vessels around it. So it took a very long time. In fact, it took years until they managed actually to bring it to a great water, to bring it back to the um, surface. And then uh, it was, well, kind of the largest jigsaw puzzle in the world because the hull of the ship survived, but the superstructure on top of it was broken into thousands of bits. But they found lots and lots and lots of... Uh, bits of the ship and also things that were on it, uh, you name it, you know, weapons, uh, cannons, uh, plates and cups and piece fragments of clothing and sails and uh, cutlery and uh, and the remains of people who died uh, on the vast uh, skeletons and so on and so forth. Uh, so it was towed over to one of the islands of Stockholm and then they started to put it back together again, uh, spraying it constantly with a chemical called PEG, which is the same kind of stuff you use in the uh, a skin cream just to make sure it doesn't uh, dry up and uh, crumble into dust. Uh, and while they were doing it, they also built a structure which eventually would house it. So they uh, built part of the structure, then towed uh, the Vata when it was completed into the structure, uh, and then built the rest of it around it. And in 1991, uh, many years after the Vata was found, back in the 50s and after it was raised in the 60s, um, it was it became a Vasa Museum. So if you ever go to Stockholm, you can visit uh, the Vasa Museum. You did, but if others uh, were listening to us now go to Stockholm, they can visit not a model of the Vasa or recreation of the Vasa or picture of the Vasa, but the Vasa itself, the actual ship, as it left Stockholm uh, in uh, August 1628. So it's it's very unique. Uh, there's nothing quite like it in the world, a ship that is that big and that old and that well-preserved. All right, Rick, you get the honor of the last question of the segment. Well, I, I want to fast forward to the 20th century, 21st century, whatever century we were, we're in. Uh, Sweden was at one time, a, a, essentially we could call it a regional, if not a world power, and then uh, sort of became less powerful and almost pursued a policy not quite of neutrality. But now because of European politics, uh they're looking to join NATO. What impact was that going yeah. to have on on uh, Sweden and uh, particularly the uh, the Scandinavian countries? Yeah, um, good question, because who knows what impact? Uh, that's a question about the future, not so much about the past. But I can, you know, I can try and make a guess. Um, I, I must say that that question is one of the reasons why I, I love history, because 
because it's not, it, it hasn't ended. Um, and you certainly know if I tell people about Swedish history, the stories I could tell them last year are very different about than what I can tell them this year, because uh, the whole NATO thing was something that uh, just a few years ago, it was hard to imagine that Sweden would ever break its policy of neutrality or unalignment. Think about it this way. Uh, like I said before, Sweden didn't fight in the war since uh, 1814, uh, and that means it was neutral during World War One and neutral during World War Two, which is very unusual in a European context. Uh, and... Um, and the ideas the Swedes told themselves, and this is kind of entering a bit of a sensitive political issue, um, but it wasn't like we're not fighting any wars because we don't care about anyone else. Quite the opposite. The Swedish narrative to this neutrality or unalignment was Sweden would become during the 20th century and certainly the second half of the 20th century kind of a humanitarian uh, superpower, which means the asylum seekers and refugees from all over the world, from anywhere which was going through a, a civil war or genocide or ethnic cleansing or nature catastrophes could find a safe haven in Sweden. And it also meant that Swedish diplomats and politicians um, played a very important roles in peace negotiations and in uh, solving or resolving conflicts all around the world. And that Sweden became an important player in the well, League of Nations, the post-World War One, and the UN, and the EU post-World War II. Um, so that was something Swedes were really proud of, and Sweden was, you know, like it or not, support it or oppose it, it was an important feature of Sweden for many, many years. Now, uh, again, fast forward, um, up until, uh, you know, maybe 15 years ago, uh, no one would imagine that there'd be enough support for Sweden ever entering a military alignment, which should uh, um, remember that's what NATO is. Um, and uh, and um, uh, in the end, um, well, I would say in 2014, uh, the first Russian attack on Ukraine, that's uh, the invasion and uh, occupation of the Crimea, so the Swedish right started considering positively the option of joining NATO, and then I would say in one day, in February this year, uh, the Swedish left to um, um, assume the same policy, meaning most of the Swedish public became a uh, supporter of joining NATO. And that's exactly what happened. I should say it's happening because Sweden is still not yet an official part of uh, NATO because there's a process to go through. It's not an easy process, I should say. Uh, but um, we think that's what will happen in the end after the, some initial objections uh, would be solved. Uh, and what Sweden will look like then is a bit hard to say, but there will be a lot of changes when it comes to Swedish military force and uh, alignment, because you should remember that Sweden is not joining NATO alone. It's joining NATO together with Finland, which was also not part of NATO until now. Uh, so the whole uh, strategy of protecting Sweden against future threats it will change because it's now had a, a part of a, a very powerful uh, alliance. Uh, as when it comes to Swedish society, I'm not quite so sure because uh, Sweden is still a very... Kind of peace-loving, liberal, secular society, uh, and it probably will remain that joining NATO as well. And I don't think anybody really thinks seriously that uh, it's going to join a war just because it's joined, uh, joining a military alliance. Um, but uh, who knows? Uh, and it certainly is part of, uh, uh, just like you said, part of the fear that uh, 
is uh, existing in this part of the world, uh, all over Scandinavia, the Nordic country, and I should say especially the Baltic country, uh, the fear of Russian aggression and the kind of not knowing what to expect from the, you know, the mighty, uh, very large, very powerful neighbor on the east uh, okay. of the Russians. David, I'm going to interrupt you here because we need to wrap things up, uh, but please stay tuned. Uh, this is ROI on KLA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 503rd show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet, and the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zapzapital. My name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, David Stavru K., journalist, who talked to us about Sweden, from the Vikings to joining NATO. The history buffs for today's show were Brett Bernard and Rick Sweet. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all of our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hutsa Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Mm-hmm.